In today's podcast, we will look at how criminal organizations, often called the Mafia or the Mob, rose to power in the United States, especially in the Golden Age. I would like to welcome you to the Mafioso Podcast this 23rd day of June 2019. Uh, I'm your host, Stitches Malone, and I'm sure you're already aware of the Mafia thanks to films like The Godfather and the Martin Scorsese films, but contrary to popular belief, the Godfather and Martin Scorsese films aren't exactly all that historical. Originally, the media and law enforcement first used the term mafia to describe criminal groups in Sicily. The American mafia got its start with a man named Giuseppe Esposito, the first known Sicilian mafia member to move to the United States. Eposito fled to New York City after killing a bunch of politicians and wealthy landowners back in Sicily. Esposito ended up in New Orleans, and in 1881, Detective David Hennessy arrested him and sent him back to Italy. By this time, however, the Sicilian Mafia had spread throughout both New Orleans and New York City. The Mafia wasn't too pleased that Esposito was sent back to Italy, and on October 15, 1890, they found Hennessy, now the superintendent and chief of police, and they murdered him, execution style. In response to this, just make all kinds of noise. In response to this, New Orleans police arrested hundreds of Sicilians, eventually accusing 19 for Hennessy's murder, and they were sent to trial. Rumors quickly surfaced that the jury had been bribed, and following a bunch of acquittals and mistrials, an angry mob formed outside the prison. On March 4, 1891, they broke into the prison, dragging out the indicted Sicilian men, killing 11 of them. These men are perhaps the largest known mass lynching in American history. After the lynchings, the term mafia entered American culture forever. This incident also gave rise to anti-Italian feelings, calling for more restrictions to prevent Italians from immigrating to America. And a new phenomenon was born. And this is how the whole Italian mob stereotype was created. So, you ask yourself, self, how did the Sicilian mob evolve into the American mob? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because during the 1890s to the 1920s, 
the rise and fall of various gangs would lead to their organization. Many of these gangs attracted young, poor Italian men with ties to Sicily. Although it is important to point out that not all these gangs were Italian. For example, the Five Points Gang was mainly made up of Irish Americans, even though its leader, Paul Kelly, was an Italian. I know. I know what you're thinking. Paul Kelly isn't a very Italian-sounding name, and actually his real name was Paolo Antonio Vaccarelli. And he had changed his name so it sounded more Ita- more Irish. Um, the big rival gang to the Five Points Gang was the Eastman Gang, who were mostly Jewish. Also, there were other gangs in the mix in New York City in the early 20th century. There was the Cherry Hill Gang, White Hand Gang, and the Yaki Yaks. Many of these gangs participated in an extortion racket known as the Black Hand. The term the Black Hand came from gang tactics like sending a letter to someone threatening to kill them or kidnap a loved one unless she or he paid a specific amount of money. These letters were often signed and hand, with a hand held up as a gesture of warning, which was usually imprinted with black ink. Now, one must realize that many of these gangs had a lot of, inf- had a lot of political influence, particularly with Tammany Hall, a democratic organization that controlled New York politics and helped immigrants get local power political power that is so as the mafia roots were being planted in new york the organization was taking over chicago al compone's italian um, american crime organization known as the chicago outfit gained power in the 1920s mostly through the illegal distribution of alcohol during prohibition but this just wasn't limited to Chicago. These bootlegging gangs rose up all over the country, and many of them attracted Italian-Americans, especially as a wave of new Italian immigrants came to the United States after fleeing Mussolini um, after he took control. As the 1920s came to an end, the largest Italian criminal organization in New York got into a war with each other. This was known as the Castel Maurice War, on one side, you had Joe Massiera. On the other side, you had Salvatore Maranzano, who in fact conspired with Massiero's only lieutenant, Charles Lucky Luciano, to have Massiero killed. Charles uh, Lucky Luciano killed Massiero on April 15, 1931, ending the so-called Castamolaris War and putting Marzano now in charge as the most powerful American mob boss. He set up what was to become known as the Commission, which was the governing body to rule the Mafia. The Commission had a ruling committee made up of bosses of crime syndicates around the country. Maranzano managed to get New York crime families who previously hated each other to join forces. These later became known as the Five Families, which was made up of the Bonanos, the Colombos, Gambinos, Genovese, and the Lucchese, and they all agreed to share power. Maranzano was the first leader of of an organization now called La Cosa Nostra, which translates to Our Thing. He named Charles Lucky Luciano the first boss of the Genovese family. However, Maranzano started to act like a dictator, 
threatening the balance of power, and Luciano ended up turning on Maranzano, sending hitmen disguised as accountants to murder him. So Charles Lucky Luciano was now in charge, but 1936, the police arrested him for operating a prostitution sting. The judge sentenced him up to 50 years in prison, prison, but Luciano only ended up serving 10. After his release, the American government deported him to Italy. However, he remained an important liaison between the Sicilian Mafia and American Mafia. Let me get a drink of my water here so we can continue on. Even after Prohibition ended, the American Mafia held onto power and even expanded it. The American Mafia diversified its black market activities, such as loan sharking, gambling operation, protection rackets, and selling illegally obtained goods. The Mafia even gained control of the labor unions, especially the Teamsters and International Longshoremen Association. Jimmy Hoffa, who served as the president of Teamsters, notoriously got in trouble with the law due to his ties with the Mafia. In New York City, the Mafia became so powerful that the majority of construction projects didn't happen without approval from one of the five families. Using loans they got from the Teamsters Pension Fund, mobsters built and owned at least 19 Las Vegas casinos. And throughout the country, the Mafia faced little opposition from the police, who often either didn't have the resources to fight them or in many cases didn't even know they existed. And at one point, the head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, famously denied their existence. Those within police forces or the courts who did, not, who did know were often bribed or intimidated, and not that anyone in the mob would snitch to the police anyway. It wasn't until 1951 that the federal government brought national attention to the mafia. Senator Estes Kefauer, Kefauver of Tennessee led a committee to investigate the effect of organized crime had on interstate commerce. And they even subpoenaed um, suspected mobsters like Frank Costello in to testify. And of course, none of these mobsters provided any helpful information. However, the hearings got lots of media attention, raising awareness about organized crime and making Kefauver a household name. In fact, a, fiction, a fictionalized version of the hearings later appeared in the movie The Godfather Part Two. Six years later, New York State Police stumbled upon a meeting of major La Cosa Nostra leaders from around the country in the upstate town of Appalachian at the home of Joseph Barber, a.k.a. Joe the Barber. Police got suspicious when all these fancy cars with out-of-state plates showed up to the sleepy little town. They detained and indicted more than 60 mafia bosses. The Appalachian media meeting, as it was called, confirmed the existence of a nationwide crime organization and finally got J. Edgar Hoover in the FBI's attention. And in 1963, the FBI got their first big-time snitch. Joe Valachi became the first mobster to give up secrets about inner workings of the mafia. After that, the FBI began a more aggressive attack, and it was harder for the mob to hide. The FBI created the Organized Crime Strike Force in various cities. And in 1970, Congress passed 
and President Richard Nixon signed the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, also known as RICO, which increased penalties for racketeering and specifically targeted the leaders of organized crime to be able to indict for having others carry out crimes for them. These new laws didn't curtail and, and the Mafia activia, activia, activity. In fact, they diversified even more. In the 1970s, they got into betting on college sports and tax fraud, but with the new RICO laws, the government was able to weaken the Mafia like never before. By the 1980s, the FBI was able to rid Las Vegas of Mafia-controlled casinos and loosen their control over labor unions, which, as a whole, were on the decline anyway. So that's basically how the Mafia came to the United States and started their criminal empire and gained control in in major cities. And in conclusion of this, we have some additional information here, which is, you know, as the 20th century came to a close, it was obvious the power of the American Mafia was on the decline. In 2002, the FBI estimated the mob still made at least $50 billion a year. And even today, the Mafia still exists. There's about 3,000 members. At one time, there was like 9,000 members just in New York. But now there's about 3,000 members, according to the FBI, mostly in Chicago, Philadelphia, and New York City. And today, the mafia is more low-key, often outsourcing their work to other criminal groups like biker gangs. Um, and as, a, as long as there is a way to make illegal activity, money from illegal activity, there will always be organized crime. So organized crime still continues today. And while we typically hear about it in more places like Mexico and Guatemala, it's pretty much alive in every country. I'm really excited about doing this podcast because this is something that I really enjoy talking about and researching about and reading about. I've always liked I don't know what it is, the mystique uh, of the mob. And I have, you know, seen all the mob movies back, you know, gangster movies and stuff like that. So we're going to be looking into more um, close into the personalities of the American mafia and and certain crimes and and high profile crimes and the glamorization in Hollywood and sometimes even industry gives the gives the mob. So I appreciate everybody for listening to my podcast. Hopefully, I'll get better at doing this. Um, I do. I put a lot of research into this and writing these show notes and coming up with this and. And try to deliver it where, you know, maybe I'm, hopefully I'm not sounding too boring and I'm, I'm clear because sometimes me being from the South, I start talking too fast and I get hard to understand. But until the next time, this is Stitches Malone and I'm out. <laughs>